Good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome you and make sure you pick up a handout this morning. The handouts are in the back of the auditorium. The handouts are also available online if you're part of our mailing list. What a joy it is to be together this morning inside the auditorium. This is a nice change as opposed to the parking lot. It's good to be indoors. I also want to give a shout out to those of you that are viewing our time together via live stream, especially to those that are in the state of Arizona and North Carolina. Uh, some of our Cornerstone family are in those outermost regions, so we give a special shout out of love to you all. If you don't know me, I'm Jonathan Jones. I have the privilege of uh, as serving as one of the elders here at Cornerstone. As we open God's Word together this morning through the Pilgrim's Progress, let's begin our time in prayer. Let's bow with me, please. Father God, it's in Jesus' name that we come before your throne of grace and mercy and righteousness and love. We come before you in a spirit of praise, in a spirit of worship. Thanking you for saving us, for those that are in you and know you. We ask your blessing upon our time. We pray that you would change our lives. We pray that your Holy Spirit fill our hearts, fill our minds, transform us. Do your work in us, we ask you. We thank you for the blessing of John Bunyan and the Pilgrim's Progress. We thank you that the gospel is replete and expressed so clearly through John Bunyan's inspired work. We thank you for this time together, and we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So two weeks ago, Pastor Mike introduced us to our survey through the Pilgrim's Progress. It's as an inspired historical account of John Bunyan's testimony and how he came to write the Pilgrim's Progress from a Bedford, England jail where he was confined for preaching the gospel in a nonconformist church. Now, a nonconformist church in Britain at the time was any church that did not preach the doctrines of the established Church of England. Today, the Church of England would be recognized through the teachings of the Anglican Church or perhaps the Lutheran Church. Before I press on any further this morning, I need your help and want to share with you how Pastor Mike two weeks ago rocked my world when he referred to section seven of the Pilgrim's Journey. Now I need your help, okay? I'm going to count to three, and after I say three, I want you to shout out to me what S-L-O-U-G-H spells, Okay? You got it? I'm going to count to three. When I say three, shout out to me what you think S-L-O-U-G-H spells. You ready? One, two, three. Slough. Exactly. Slew, slough. Slew, slough. As I said, Pastor Mike rocked my world when he referred to the slough of despond, which is from the Old English text. So... Exactly. For 60 years, I've been referring to S-L-O-U-G-H as slew or swamp. Well, Pastor Mike, in his inevitable way, 
came to my immediate rescue and explained to me that slough is the British pronunciation and slew is the American way of pronouncing the word. Can I also advocate this morning the reading of um, the Pilgrim's Progress in the Old English as well as the modern version? Oh, the difference between greeting my wife when she comes home from work, between me greeting her by saying, How artest thou, my dearest? versus, What's happening, mama? <laughs> right? How artest thou, my dearest? Doesn't that just speak volumes to you? It does to me. There's real beauty and civility in the Old English. And then you press on in the Old English to have your devotions out of the King James Version. All right. Very good. I want to encourage you to make reading this classic and striking allegory a part of your daily devotions. It's an easy and enthralling read that C.H. Spurgeon has said that next to the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress, was the book he valued the most and that he had read it at least a hundred times. It's also a wonderful resource for family devotions with short sections that most members of the family can read and share and enjoy and a great opportunity to educate your children about the Old English. By way of review, let me just set the stage for our lesson this morning. Let me just set the stage by a review of where we've been over the last two weeks. I'll take a few minutes to do this. The reason the Pilgrim's Progress has never been out of print since it was first published in 1678, almost 350 years ago, is that God has used the work to encourage and challenge those of us who are in Christ as well as convict and save those still seeking a savior. Pastor Mike introduced us, as I've said, to the pilgrim named Christian who was dressed in rags, reading the book, which is the word of God. He's awakened to the realities of his sin and God's coming judgment. As his distress and conviction grows, it is represented by a great burden that weighs heavy on his back. He realizes the fearful consequences of sin and knows that he and his family and his city will be condemned unless some way of escape can be found whereby they might be delivered. As you read, you'll feel Pilgrim's increasing distress as he cries out, What shall I do? What shall I do? was his lamentable cry. What a thrilling beginning to Christian's adventure as Christian trudges on he meets a man named Evangelist who gives him a parchment scroll that has written on it, Fly from the wrath to come. Then Evangelist points him to yonder wicket, or in American, picket, gate, which, was represented, which represents the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ from John chapter 14, verse 6. As Christian continues on his journey where he has an encounter with neighbors, some who mocked him, others threatened him, and some cried after him to return, two were willing to forcibly bring him back. He's ridiculed by obstinate who asks him what he seeks, and Christian answers, I seek an inheritance, incorruptible, 
undefiled, that fadeth not away, and is laid up in heaven and safe there to be bestowed at the time appointed on them that diligently seek it. Read it so, if you will, in my book. He, um, is, he's, he's, he's then forsaken by pliable and falls into the slew of despond where Christian encounters the Holy Spirit named Help and learns of the promises of Jesus in the gospel referred to as steps in the slew. These are all common experiences one has on their way to meeting and knowing Christ. And this was just the beginning. Last week, Pastor Carlos led us through sections 8 through 15, which focused on the shining light. Julie, could you bring me my water, please? I don't think that's mine. Thank you. Thank you, my dearest. Last week, Pastor Carlos led us through sections 8 through 15, which focused on the shining light, which Christian was to keep his eye on as he journeyed towards the wicked gate. You'll recall when Christian couldn't see the wicked gate, evangelist pointed him to yonder shining light, which was the word of God that lights our path from Psalm 119, 105. Let me read that verse for you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Then Christian is met by worldly wise men who lived in a town called Carnal Policy and tells Christian to discard the counsel he received from evangelist or he will encounter great suffering. Christian replies that there is no suffering greater than the burden that he is bearing. Get that, what Christian said. There is no burden greater than the burden of his sin that he is bearing. The words, uh, the world's scorn for the word continues from worldly wise men as Christian continues his conversation with him. Christian tells world, worldly wise men, a worldly wise man then denounces the Bible and condemns it and those who seek it as weak, distracted, and pointless. Worldly wise man recommends that Christian pursue safety, friendship, and contentment in the village of morality where people seek to avoid the appearance of evil and practice good apart from the fear of God or judgment. But this is more dangerous than the city of destruction as citizens are deceived that all is well. Beneath the high hill where a Christian being swayed by the influence of worldly wise men strays from the narrow way towards the village of morality where he soon realizes his foolishness. Christian is once again admonished by evangelist as he quotes scripture after scripture, exposing Christian's error, teaching him to recognize and hate his sin. Christian returns to the way after learning of the seriousness of his sin, for he had departed from the narrow way, and he finally arrives at the gate, finally arrives at the gate where he read, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He knocked and finally, goodwill, goodwill who is represented by the goodwill of our loving Father, opens the gate. 
what's so beautiful about this scene is that the gate represents Christ himself. And as in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, refers to the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So thank you for bearing with me with that review as I've set the stage for this morning's lessons out of sections 16 through 22 as we press on together. Okay, back to the gate. And Pilgrim is met by goodwill. Now, goodwill is very serious. He is grave, and yet he's loving. Goodwill asks, who was there, and whence he came, and what he would have? Now, if you go to your handout this morning, you'll see that I've printed these notes. Christian responds, Here is a poor sinner. I came from the city of destruction, but I am going to Mount Zion that I may be delivered from the wrath to come. I would, therefore, sir since I am informed that by this gate is the way thither, know if you are willing to let me in. So here's the pilgrim, Christian, asking, begging, goodwill to let him in. Goodwill responds, I am willing with all my heart, he said, and he opened the gate. See, this represents the heart of God the Father. Goodwill is grave and serious, yes, by the nature of his job. Answering the knocks of all those burdened with sin and snatching them from danger. Yet he is loving because he personifies the willingness of God to receive sinners who come to him in repentance and faith. In goodwill, we see the compassion and favor that God has for his people even while they are still in their sins. This may appear odd to modern evangelicals. When the gate was closed with an instruction to knock, instead of a wide open door with entertainment inside, that would be more attractive. And why isn't the gatekeeper outside beckoning people to come in and feel good? This, brothers and sisters, is not the offer of salvation we see in Scripture. We see the heart of God in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. If you go to your notes, you'll see it there, and I'll read it with you. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? The salvation offered in Scripture is for those who are weighted down and burdened by their sin and would flee its condemnation. Let's press on to section 17. So as Christian was stepping in, goodwill reached out and pulled him in through the wicked gate, to which Christian replies, what means that? Goodwill was quick to explain that those who seek the gate are in grave danger. As they escape the darkness of the city of destruction, they are within the shadows of a dark castle where where Beelzebub lives, a demonic captain who shoots arrows at those who approach the gate. Beelzebub's intent is that some may die at the gate before they enter in. Christian's response was, I rejoice and tremble. I love that response. I rejoice and tremble. 
Take time on your own to read through the scriptures on your handout. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And chapter 2, verse 14. As we think about Beelzebub, the evil demonic captain, hoping to destroy and kill those that are right at the gate, let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And 16, go to your notes under section 17, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then in verse 16, the instruction, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Amen. Amen. As if our sins, lusts, ignorance were not enough to weigh us down, Satan and his dominion have also declared war on the sovereign creator. Christian learns that seeking after Christ means drawing the attention of Christ's enemies. Pressing on to section 18, we see Christian is shown an open door. Let me read the dialogue. So when he got in, the man of the gate asked him, Who directed him thither? Christian replied, Evangelist did bid me hither and knock as I did, and he said that you, sir, would tell me what I must do. Goodwill said, An open door is set before thee, and no man can shut it. Christian replied, now I, begin to, now I begin to reap the benefits of my hazard. Love this. Love this text. I repeat that. I begin to, re- to reap the capital benefits of my hazards. We see this so beautifully expressed in Scripture. Go to your handout and read with me Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. And in John 10, 7 through 9, we see Jesus saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The metaphor of an open door is used to describe the uninhibited spread of the gospel in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, an opportunity to preach the gospel in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, and as well as the marvelous outpouring of grace in Acts 14, verse 27, as the Holy Spirit quickened the hearts of Gentiles as well as Jews. Christian responds to the good news offered by goodwill by saying, Now I begin to reap the benefits of my hazards. This is a reference to the many benefits of coming to Christ that are too numerous to mention. Christian has already been through many dangers and found found God to be merciful. He felt the weight of his sin and knew he deserved death. In the midst of all the hazards, which include the city of destruction, the slew of despond, or being killed by an arrow at the gate, God manifests 
his blessings as we read in Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Looking at section 19, Goodwill then asks Christian why he has come alone as we see Christian lamenting his neighbors in our next section. Let me read this section of dialogue between Christian and Goodwill. Referring to obstinate and pliable, Christian says, We indeed came together until we came to the slew of despond, into which we also suddenly fell. And then was my neighbor pliable discouraged, and he would not adventure further. Wherefore, getting out again on that side next to his house, he told me I should possess the brave country alone for him. So he went his way, and I came mind, he after obstinate, and I to this gate. The scene is beautiful and tense. There's a tension there as Pliable returns home and Pilgrim presses on to the gate. Goodwill responds, alas, poor man, is the celestial glory no small esteem with him? And he does not count it worth running the hazard of a few difficulties to obtain it? The dialogue then turns to the sorrowful consideration of those who stayed behind and turned back. John Bunyan paints a sharp contrast between God's great compassion for fallen man and the fallen's ungrateful scorn of a compassionate God. Christian recounts his rejection by his wife and children and by obstinate and pliable. The contrast between um, Christian, obstinate, and pliable relate directly to the hearers in the parable Jesus told of the sower and the seed in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Obstinate is like the one who received the seed by the wayside. Um, but it was snatched away by the evil one. And pliable was a stony ground who received the word with joy and followed Christian until hard times came in the slough, and he turned back. Goodwill is grieved by Christian's account. God's word is full of his mercy, compassion, and forgiveness contrasted against the blindness, stubbornness, pride, and rebellion of man's heart. We read in John chapter 5, verse 40, But you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. And we conclude this section by stating Hosea chapter 13, verse 9, where we read, O Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. In section 20, we see Christian is quick to reflect on God's mercy. Christian reflects on the fact that he was no better than pliable and his rejection of the journey to the celestial city. He humbly admits that he was no better than pliable as he turned aside to go the way of death, being persuaded by, a carnal, by the carnal arguments of worldly wise men. Christian knew the darkness of his heart and understood clearly 
who had made the difference in his life. It was only the grace and mercy of God that has made him any different from obstinate and pliable. Let me read the quote, one of our favorite quotes from this, uh, from this morning's sections and from our study through last week. I quote you the words of, ply- uh, the words of goodwill. It is with humbled heart of one touched by the Holy Spirit that Christian responds to Goodwill's lament over Pliable. As Christian told of Pliable's desertion of the way, he was reminded of his own unfaithfulness and waywardness. Both had set out with high hopes and dreams of reaching the celestial city. Yet Pliable was resting again in destruction while Christian was within the gate of Goodwill. Christian knew the darkness of his heart and understood clearly who had made the difference in his life. It was nothing in himself that made him better than pliable or obstinate. He says, rather, but it was God's mercy. Only the grace and mercy of God caused him to differ. Paul reminds us that we were dead in trespasses and sins from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. From Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Salvation is of the Lord. From Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Christian was fit, as you and I are, only for death. But God was preparing him fit for heaven. Amen. Amen. In section 21, we see Christian is directed in the way by goodwill. Although Christian has tasted God's goodness within the gate, he finds that his journey is only beginning and that he must continue a while longer, still bearing his burden. Goodwill provides Christian with wise counsel that can protect him from various dangers. Goodwill then proceeds to teach Christian five things about the way. It is narrow. The way is narrow from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Number two, It was cast upon by the patriarchs, prophets, Christ, and his apostles. We see this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, and 2 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Those also are in your handout this morning. It is straight as a rule. That's another British or English reference to a ruler or a tape. My father, who was born in Wales and raised in New Zealand, raised me, and when we would do a project, would often say, Jono, get my, get my rule, which would be a reference to me getting his tape measure in that case. But the British word for ruler is rule. The way is straight as a rule can make it. From Psalm 125, verse 5, where we read of the crooked man and James chapter 1, verse 17, 
where we see no variation or a shadow of turning. It is the way Christian must go, number four, from John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No other way leads to the celestial city and into the presence of the king. And number five, there are many wrong ways that cross it and veer from it. Well, the way itself does not stray or turn aside. Many false paths intersect and branch off the way. Christian enjoys the company of goodwill, but grows concerned. We read in the text that Christian begins girding his loins. Love the imagery. Not just putting on his stuff. Girding his loins. Getting ready to go. He grows concerned about his burden of sin. Goodwill cannot remove it and explains that it is only the atoning work of Christ on the cross that can remove it. Christian must be content to bear his burden until he finds the place of deliverance, the cross where only Christ has the power to save him. Feel the tension here in our story. In our final section this morning, we'll take a look at Christian's visit to the house of the interpreter. So, goodwill points Christian on his way and tells him that he must visit the house of the interpreter who will tell him many and beneficial things. Once Christian has tasted the goodwill of God, he is directed to go and spend time searching God's word for excellent things that will be great benefit to him on his journey to heaven. Bunyan portrays God's word as the house of the interpreter. When Christian arrives, he knocks and knocks over and over. This is not to say that the Spirit of God is slow or reluctant to enlighten truth, but rather that we must be diligent and responsible to search the Scriptures and pray earnestly that the Spirit teach us and apply its truth to our hearts and lives. As Christian enters the house, the interpreter commands that his servant light the candle. What's the candle? The candle is representative of the Spirit's work of illumination. Without the light, the rooms and hallways of the house would be dark and unprofitable. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Let me read. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We must have the light, the illuminating light of the Holy Spirit. Only by the power of the Spirit of God can one who by nature is dead and blind see and understand the Word of God. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Next week, Pastor Mike will conclude our survey through Bunyan's brilliant and gospel-laden work. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, we thank you for this joyful time in your word and in John Bunyan's epic epic retracing of his testimony through Pilgrim on his journey. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts as you prepare us for a morning of fellowship and teaching and fellowship together. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.